Thanks for tuning in to Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Steve Ray, your host, and this podcast features interviews with the people actually making a difference in the Italian wine market in America, their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. And I'll be adding a practical focus to the conversation based on my 30 years in the business. So if you're interested in not just learning how, but also how else, then this pod is for you. Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. This week, my guest is uh, Scott Addis of uh, Dalaterra, which is an unusual, but um, I think becoming much more relevant model of uh, American wine importer, particularly from Italy. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. Very happy to be here. So, let's jump right into it. We'll get to some bios of you. You've been in the industry a, a long time, but I think that the thing that's most interesting to our listeners is the Dalaterra model and uh, what makes it unique and different. Sure. Well, Dalaterra, although the services it provides are essentially the same services that any uh, national importer would provide, Dalaterra is really a sales agent. So we represent the wineries that are in our portfolio to the distribution marketplace. And uh, in theory, and I guess in practice as well, the distributors actually buy directly from the wineries. Uh, in the traditional import model, the wineries sell to the importer and the importer sells to the distributors. And we call that an agency model, right? Uh, what, what we do is an agency model. What you do is an agency model, but yet I've always... What we do is an agency model. I've always been using the term agency models where the importer buys it from the supplier and then resells it. So I've been wrong all these years? Yes, yes. That's a, that's a resale model. Exactly. Exactly. So yes, we are an agent and then the wineries actually pay us for the services that we provide. And so that's one material difference. The second material difference is that in our model, the wineries fund all of their promotion and marketing activities in the U.S. We, we execute them all and we work very, very collaboratively on them with the wineries, but the, the wineries actually pay for it. In the traditional import model, the importer, you know, makes money on the resale of the product and they use that money to fund uh, the marketing and promotion. And so that factor, in addition to some other financial risk that we don't take, that the wineries take, uh, allows us to bring wines at a, at a much more effective cost into the market than the traditional import model does. And therefore, even maintaining retailer margins, you'll be able to sell at a more competitive price. Presumably. Yes, it, it, generally. Everyone, I guess, except Dalaterra, but everyone makes more money uh, in the chain. The winery ends up making a little more money. The distributors typically make more money and the retailers can even make more money. So are you unique in doing this? And how long ago did you guys start this? And what was the reason for starting it in the first place? So Dalaterra was founded uh, 32 years ago uh, and by Brian Larkey. And Brian uh, had spent almost five years in Italy working for a winery, Cadal Basco, French Corte producer, and uh, decided to come back to the U.S. And when he decided to come back to the U.S., uh, a number of wineries asked him if he would represent their wines in the U.S., and, and they would pay him to do that. And that's really how Dalaterra started. Uh, and from there, the portfolio built and the organization grew. But, but the model started as simply as that, wineries looking for representation in the U.S. Are other people doing this? Uh, some other people are trying to do this. And when I say trying, I don't necessarily mean they're failing, but they're not, haven't necessarily found the, the correct mix of the model to be 
as effective as Dalaterra has been with the model. There are a couple other people. Uh, there's an importer of French and Spanish importer European sellers that has a somewhat similar model, and they've they've been very successful over the years. And and there are a few other people trying it, but but generally most importers use the traditional import model. Okay, so when I talk to people and when I talk to producers in Italy, um, this concept is alien to them. But the, the, the for the most part, I'm generalizing here, of course, and they also tend to be especially new to the U.S. brands pretty unfamiliar with the U.S. market, some of the limitations, restrictions, and strange structures um, that we all deal with. And the bottom line being that they have to be the ones that take responsibility for marketing and promoting the brand. That's an alien concept to a lot of people and feel that that should be included in what the, uh, the importer does. How... And, and that's common around the world in other markets, and that's what makes working in the U.S. so difficult and why a lot of people struggle early on and why I do what I do, which is the education of them and saying, hey, this is how it works. One of the problems I see is suppliers coming into the U.S. market with inaccurate expectations of what an importer, traditional importer, is going to do for them. By the time they figured it out, they end up being dissatisfied with what the importer is doing, uh, the reporting that they're getting back, a whole bunch of things. And it seems like everybody goes through the same process. You guys are fundamentally different. Um, the expectations are different. How do we uh, educate the, the, the 175,000 individual wineries that there are in Italy uh, who want to come to the U.S. market or the 172,000, let's say that many, on this new auction? I think the first thing that... Uh, uh, a winery that wants to come to the U.S. needs to understand is they don't need an importer. What they need is distribution. And what the importer provides them is the path to getting the distribution. So if they're speaking to an importer and that importer doesn't have a good distribution network, it really doesn't matter that they signed up with an importer um, because it, 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 is, it is actually relatively easy to find an importer. It's relatively difficult to find an importer with good distribution. And I think the reason why Dalaterra continues to be somewhat unique, it's not completely unique, but somewhat unique and very differentiated in the market is because of the history and the strength of our portfolio, we have a very strong distribution network and we have the model that has been built over 30 years. If you're a traditional importer, shifting to our model is a very difficult economic change because you, you will give up a tremendous amount of revenue and you have to work with all of your wineries to shift all of your expenses. And, that's, and, and they don't really know how to do that because they haven't been doing that. So it's difficult for a traditional importer to do. As a new importer coming into the market, if you don't have a portfolio of wines, it's very hard to get distribution. And if you don't have distribution, it's very hard to get a portfolio of wines. So you're in a little bit of a catch-22. So it's, it's really a very hard model to just start up from scratch. Okay. So, and this fundamentally differs, this model fundamentally differs from what we would normally call service importers. And that would be MHW, Park Street, uh, USA Wine West, uh, and the like. Can you kind of compare and contrast those two? Absolutely. Uh, service importers are people who legally and, you know, following the compliance regulations bring your wine into the country or allow you to bring your wine into the country, but they're purely a compliance entity. They, they file all the right paperwork with all the right agencies so that your wines are legal to sell in the U.S. They do not have anyone actively selling your wines in the U.S. 
Dalatera is a sales organization. That's at heart what we are. We're not a marketing company. We're a sales organization. We have a sales team across the country that works with all of our distributors that make sure the wines that we also facilitate all the compliance aspect of it. So we, we facilitate that. And then we have a sales team that's out there selling the wines to both the distributors, to the trade, and, and ultimately to end consumers as well through, through various events. Well, let me ask you about that. So give me a sense of the number of salespeople, not the exact number, but the the size of your sales force? So we have, a, we have about a dozen salespeople across the country working with about 50 distributors across the country. And those 50 distributors probably have, you know, in, in aggregate somewhere between 1,000 and, and 1,500 salespeople in the markets. We're in, we're in every state in the union right now except for uh, North Dakota. And we're actually looking at getting into North Dakota. But other than North Dakota, we are, we are everywhere. Uh, and so that is... That, that's our structure. That, that's our model. Okay. So another kind of simplistic question, but I think important distinction for a lot of our listeners is you talk to distributors these days and to uh, some degree also traditional importers. Um, the expectation is that people will have, quote unquote, feet on the street, boots on the ground, meaning what we would call have called brand ambassadors, which in the strictest sense is basically a parallel salesperson to what the distributor is doing in the market, calling on on, on and off-premise retailers and or supporting the importer and what they're doing. Differentiate what your salespeople do from what a brand ambassador does. And the other side of that question is, what is the role of a brand ambassador for all the people who aren't using the Dalatera model? Right. So brand ambassadors are a very interesting concept. And, and generally very difficult to justify if you are not a large winery, a lot, and I mean, really significant at, at the end of the day. The, the Dalatera team does a few core things. One, they make sure that the distribution channel has wine, literally has inventory in-house, right? They make sure that that wine is priced correctly. They make sure that that distributor sales team is educated on the wines. So first and foremost, the distribution channel is correctly served because they are the ones ultimately selling the wine. Then they also go out into the market and through trade events, uh, present the wines directly to the trade, educate you know trade customers, that's restaurant and retailers on the wines, uh, and ultimately do events, whether it be a you know a, an in-store tasting or a wine dinner that represent the wines to the consumers. So. Our sales team is both a brand ambassador for all the wines that we represent, which is that in-market side of the business, right? The, the education, the promotion, the doing the tastings, as well as the, the business management side, the making sure the distributor has inventory, making sure everything's priced right, and, and their team is educated well. So we, we, we do both of those things. And I think a traditional brand ambassador only does the second part that I described, being in the market and representing the wines, which is a, uh, a valuable function, but it really doesn't have nearly as much value if you don't make sure that you have inventory and so forth uh, in, in the market where you are doing that work. Right. And a lot of times that's assumed, but boy, how many times for each of us in our careers, we found how we got this really good program. Oh my God. We don't have an inventory. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Happens all the time. And I don't have any wine to sell. Yes. Yes. Yeah, been there, been there, done that. Okay, so I mean, it sounds like exactly the model that many of the suppliers that I talk to in Italy and around the world uh, are interested in. Yet they're as um, unaware of the existence of something 
like Dalaterra um, as they are of service importers. And so that's one of the reasons why I, I wrote how to get U.S. market ready the book so that, you know, they don't sound like idiots when they're talking to people and they fully understand or at least have a place to look up how the U.S. market functions and why these things don't make sense. And yet, many people that we talked to, you were at uh, Provine last week, unfortunately, you didn't make it to the Italy for travel issues, but so many of the people we talked to there really have very little understanding of the structure of the U.S. market and these variations on traditional options. Can you comment on that? I mean, that's the frustration I feel every day. Yes. Well, so so two things. I think the, the Dalaterra model is, or Dalaterra itself in Italy, because we are 100% Italy, important to, to state, uh, in Italy is relatively well-known. We have the, the the challenge and the benefit for our wineries that we only represent one winery from an area. So if we're already representing someone, it doesn't matter how much you love the Dalaterra model, we're we're not going to take you on. So that that is a somewhat limiting factor for us and for the wineries. As far as the 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 understanding of the market of Italian wineries and other wineries, you know, I think that the the broad challenge there is the incredible difference of the U.S. market versus every other market in the world, because there is no U.S. market. There are 50 different states and 50 different state markets. Um, and probably, you know, and that doesn't even include Washington, D.C., which is its own market, so really 51. And there's some of the Caribbean you could include in that. So that is really the biggest disconnect, I think, is that it is not one market. It's 50 different markets. Many, many foreign wineries think that the United States is New York and and maybe Miami and then a few other a few other places. Uh, and you know one, New York is very, very different than any other part of the country, incredibly different than any other part of the country. So it's not like the vast majority of, of the US. And and so it, it's it's really just a, a lack of exposure and a lack of understanding. There's it's it's not really more complex than that. And, and that put in contrast with every other market in the world, right? So, you know, you, you go to Germany, which is another big market, or the UK, and they're all essentially one market. You know, they're, 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 obviously there are geographic differences, but the geographic differences don't lead to a new set of rules, regulations, pricing methodologies, uh, and, and, and retail methodologies as well. So, that's the biggest disconnect. And I think, you know, the, a, a great book uh, to write, and this is just coming to me now, so I hope, hope you think you would agree with this, would be, you know, the 50 markets of the U.S. and just explain how they're all different and, and some of the, the major differences, you know. <laughs> we did that actually at a, at a Wine to Wine event a couple of years ago. We picked four. We did like Michigan, Ohio. Pennsylvania and I think one other kind of uh, open market. But I realized as, as we, in order to make it fit into the time that we have allotted, we simplified it so much that nobody, I, I don't think they understood all the, the richness, called richness and complications and uniquenesses of each of those markets. That people like you and I who have been in the industry, we kind of know this intuitively. When we're talking about Pennsylvania versus Michigan as a control state, 
you know, it's only spirits on the Michigan side. I mean, we know all that. For other people, every time you they start talking and we tell them, well, that's not the case, they I've had people cry. <laughs> yes, yes. The other the other issue is the language barrier, which is a problem because some of these words are not even if you are relatively fluent in a language, they may not be words you would come across. What does a uh, a control state mean? You know, what does the word control mean? What does a franchise mean? You know, what is what is a chain? Open what is source. That? Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, what is primary American source? So th- these are these are issues that are also language barriers in the process, which is, I don't know if you heard me at, at one of the presentations that I made, but one of the things I think that is a problem with some of those seminars is just the language that people speak in. And, you know, I, I work with, you know, foreign wineries literally on a daily basis and when I speak, I adjust how I speak. I speak more simply. I don't use idioms. Uh, I don't use um, business terms. Or if I do, I explain what the business term means. And as you said, if you're doing a 30-minute you know, seminar, webinar, whatever it happens to be, there isn't often time to really do that. But uh, I think it's really important to explain what is trying to be conveyed in very simple language, because that very simple language to you as the native speaker can actually be pretty complicated to the foreign entity trying to figure out what you're saying. Yeah. Well, one of the things I've done that's part of the, the book I wrote and also I provide to everybody who calls me and who's ever listening to this, you want a copy, just send me an email at steve at bibologyinc.com is a glossary of U.S. terms, completion allowances, SBAs, you know, control states, franchise states, simply, but it's, you know, it's like a four-page document, but at least it captures it. And what I, what I tell people, and this sounds, I think, very... Um, obnoxious, I guess you might say, is you need to read this. And yes, there will be a test. And if you haven't read it, then you're not going to be ready for the U.S. market. And there's going to come a time, probably very soon, that you're going to embarrass yourself by being ignorant and trying to, to cover up. So the best that we can do is educate them. Yes. And, and by the way, in my view, the, the being ignorant isn't the embarrassing part. It's the covering up. <laughs> because, you know, because I always expect people will know, you know, will not know everything about the U.S. and may not know a lot, uh, but, but just openly admit that and move on and then you can learn better. Thank you for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. We know there are many of you listening out there, so we just want to interrupt for a small ask. Italian Wine Podcast is in the running for an award, the best podcast listening platform through the Podcast Awards, the People's Choice. Listener nominations is from July 1st to the 31st, and we would really appreciate your vote. We are hoping our listeners will come through for us. So if you have a second and could do this small thing for us, just head to italianwinepodcast.com from July 1st to the 31st and click the link. We thank you and back to the show. Well, that's an interesting thing. One of, one of the things I've learned is uh, I go through, I know that working with wineries who are talking to importers and distributors, there's kind of a set of about 10 questions that get asked in order, starting with do you have scores. And really the questions are designed to get somebody to answer no. And when they say no, they say, it gives you an opportunity to be politely say, well, you know, when you get your act together and you've resolved that question, you have scores or you have a track record in the U.S. The bottom line is what uh, decision makers in the process of finding an importer or distributor want to know is what are you going to do? How do I know it will sell? 
and what are you going to do to reduce my risk so that it's not such a so when i ask him tell me about your brand it's uh, you know uniquely or not uniquely it's just commonly oh my grandfather bought the farm here or we, we moved from general agriculture into focusing on wine after world war ii and yada yada that's not relevant and then they go and they say i make a really great whatever sagrantino de montefalco or Alianica, what pick one? It really doesn't matter. It's not a relevant question at that point in time. It's how prepared are you for the U.S. market? But nobody articulates it that way. And the answers they get tend to be usually the same. That um, let me tell you how great my wine is. Your wine is wonderful. All your children are beautiful. <laughs> yes, and I think the you know from a dollar perspective, and and I do think this very significantly depending on the importer and and what their business model is. But from a dollar perspective, you know, we we want to know all of those things. We do want to know the history because, you know, how you got where you are is important. And and history can very greatly and still be still be perfectly marketable, I guess would be the way I would put it. So we want to know your history, but but we also need to know your infrastructure. What's your ability to produce the wine, to produce it consistently, to have a structure that can maintain price? And what structure do you have to support the wine? Do you have the right people to get the, you know, logistically help us get the wine to the U.S., keep us in stock? Those are important things. We want to know you have enough materials about your brand and your winery so that we can market you to the U.S. Do you have a website? Is the website sufficient? I mean, that's where everybody goes. Is the website in English? Um, is, is it well-maintained? Is it accurate? Does it work? And then do you have the ability to give us the, the, the marketing materials that we need to, in order to sell the wine in the format that we need? So if you need high resolution files and you need a, a logo aspect ratio of either horizontal or vertical or on a black background or a white background. And, and, and I would say the score component is, is a nice thing. I mean, we are always happy for good scores, but it's not necessarily something we require as long as we believe in the quality of the wine. And one reason is scores can be a, a very double-edged sword. You know, it, it's great when you get a good one, but if you get a 91 one year and an 89 the next year, you know, that can have a big impact on your sales if you're reliant on scores. And so if you're reliant on the quality of the wine and the stability of the distribution and the, the, the quality of the brand, the score is a nice thing, but it isn't the be-all, end-all. Uh, and I think, you know, in a way, that's a little bit of a red flag you know, the level of importance of that score to the importer that you're talking to, because if they're relying on you to, you know, get over 90 point scores in order to sell the wine, then they're not really looking to represent your winery. They're looking to benefit from the work that you've done and, and hope that other people get out there and sell it because you have a good score. Boy, that was really a, a really killer point. I think that the it's so important. Oftentimes, I find that the, do you have scores is a way to, to get to a no answer. And so the first thing we tell people is get scores, not because they're going to make a difference, but if their absence is what makes a difference. But then when we think about scores, I'm not going to go into this in too detail, but one of my pet peeves is it's not a 100 points list. It's really 87 to 94, right? So it's seven points. Because if you get a 91 one year and an 89 the next year, it's an easy way for someone to sell, well, I can't sell an 89 point one, even though it's perfectly good wine. I think the trade buys different scores or, or different scores appeal to the trade than appeal to consumer. So an 89 is better than an 88 to a consumer, but an 89 is far worse than a 90. 
if it's not above 90, we can't sell it kind of a thing. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, I do agree that that is that, that, that the market has created that issue, especially for volume wines. If, if you're trying to sell a volume wine at, at, at the middle tier, right? The very high volume wines that sell millions of bottles or millions of cases at $8.99 or $9.99. A score is a nice thing there, but they're really driven by marketing and, and, and promotion. It's really that $10 to $15 category or $10 to $20 category where those scores become, you know, can become a much more important differentiator. Uh, and you know, 90 makes a big difference versus 89. And it, it's, it's, you know, really, really disappointing because, you know, when you think about one, the basis of that score, I mean, in, in what other area is an 87, a, a bad score that's going to hurt your business? You know, I mean, when you think about, just think about when your kids came home from school, you know, if, if, you know, if someone had an 87, you may say, well, let's try and, you know, do a little better next time. But, but that's still good. Right. It's still good. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine that most people in the industry, if they didn't average above 87, they couldn't get into the industry. Uh, they probably wouldn't be here right now um, <laughs> as, a, as a general statement. So it's really sad that that, that that benchmark becomes such a problem. And, and those benchmarks are... You know, everyone's taste is unique. You know, what you taste when you open that bottle is different than what the person next to you tasted. So, and, and so difficult to, to narrow down all these complexities about wine to something as simple as a score. Exactly. Because it's relative to price and style and, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. Let me switch gears a little bit because there was another factor uh, you had talked about pricing. And I think that's really something that uh, many of the people I talk to, producers, uh, don't really understand. You know, the question is often, well, everybody else seems to be making more money on my wine than I am, and I have to own the vineyards and deal with weather and labor and, you know, all kinds of different things. So talk about the the perspective of pricing. Uh, You would use the um, analogy of, or simile of a uh, a realtor making a joint decision with the homeowner. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, the, the way that the Dalaterra model works, the, the price that the winery sells into the U.S. at, uh, in, in our model, they sell it directly to the distributor technically. Since we get paid by the winery, we want them to sell that wine into the U.S. as the ho- at the highest price that they could possibly get to still be competitive in, in the market and actually be, be better than competitive in the market in our model traditionally. In the traditional import model, the importer is trying to buy the wine at the lowest possible price from the winery and sell it into the market at the highest possible price. So when, when we're speaking to wineries about pricing, our discussion is about how well the wine will sell in the U.S. And, and that's what they care about, not about where the margin is going, who's making more money, right? The winery can't say to us, well, then you're making more money on this than we are if you, if you do it that way, because that's not the case. Whereas in, in, in the traditional import model, that is the case. Now, the bigger picture issue, though, that, that you did mention, well, that, that is a big picture issue. But a, a second big picture issue is the point you made that selling into the U.S., a winery might say, you know, everyone else is making more money. And, and the truth is, it depends on the margin of the winery, right? If, if you've owned your vineyards for hundreds of years, you may be making more money than the person who just bought their vineyards last year so um, or, or just built their winery last year. So how much money you make 
is relative to your your structure in the market. But what I always tell wineries is that it is very expensive to sell wine in the U.S. No one in the U.S. called you and said, please come sell your wine here, right? I mean, in the most cases, there actually does happen. Consumers taste the wine and they say, can I get it in the U.S.? But in general, you've decided to come to the U.S. And one of the things that you need to know when you come to the U.S. is that it will probably be your least profitable market in the world. And that's something that you should come in understanding. Uh, and if you do understand that, you'll approach it in, in a different way. If you expect it's milk and honey and you're going to make a lot of money selling your wine, you're misinformed relative to the rest of the world, I guess is, is what I would say. And we'll be disappointed. That's kind of what I find. By the time they get to me, chances are they've already tried and failed or are failing. And you know, can, can you rescue this situation? I say, oh, <laughs> well, we're kind of knee deep in the big muddy. How do we get out of here? To the forge ahead. And so there's some. Okay, so change the gears again. You had made a point earlier about um, that. You think people are generally aware of Dalaterra as a model? My experience, and, and I may be misstating it, but in, in any case, my experience is is not. And when I bring up that idea and explain it. People go, ah, that's that's why. How would Italian producers find out about you? How would they know about you? Uh, how visible are you guys? So uh, that's a that's that's a good question. I may have I may have misspoke a little bit earlier. What I would say is mainstream Italian wineries, mainstream being those who have been in the market in the U.S. for some while, commercially exporting. Yeah, commercially exporting. Um, would know Dalaterra and you, they would know Dalaterra through relationships with other wineries, through their interaction of being in the U.S. Uh, you know, Brian is is a relatively well-known person in Italy. Um, he's one of those people that just has an incredible talent for knowing people, making friends, developing relationships. And he's a very naturally curious person. So in the 32 years that he's has owned Dalaterra, he, he spent a lot of time in Italy and met a lot of people and so that in the wine business. So that also has expanded the, the reach of, of people at least knowing who Dalaterra is. Whether they really fully understand the model or not is something different. They may understand the model is different, but exactly what it is they may not know, which is which is important. And if you were a new newer winery or winery that just isn't actively commercially exporting or commercially in the US, you probably won't know. You may have heard of Dalaterra through through one or another way, but you really won't. You would think of us as we're just another importer into the U.S. So that that that's actually fair. I'm, I may have overstated that, but what, what I will say is though we do get a a fair number of incoming calls from wineries that are in the U.S. that are saying, "I would really like to move to the model you have," which means that there are a number of people that do know and understand at least on the surface our model and. Quite honestly, we're not shy about it. You can go to our website and there's a section, our business model. So dalaterra.com. Since you're uh, exclusive to a region or a style, one way somebody who was interested in Dalaterra would approach it would be to go there and say, okay, do you have a French Quarter? Do you have a, a Chianti Classico or whatever it happens to be? But then, so what if it is, you know, a, a place that you don't have something? How would people reach out to you? I mean, like how many calls a day do you get? 
how prepared are people with those calls and understanding what you're doing? And what advice would you give to those who would say, wow, this sounds really good. Um, I've got a wine from Puglia. You know, maybe it's, a, I don't know if you have a Primitivo, but uh, you know, something that, that you don't have. How would they proceed? So we, we get a fair number of, of incoming requests. They come in via email. They come in via calls contacts that people know, referrals, recommendations. And I would say we don't necessarily get one every day, but we probably get a couple a week, probably at least would be my guess. Um, now we're just Italy and sometimes they're not Italy. They just have heard and seen Dalaterra and so they, they reach out to us, but the vast majority of them are, are from Italy. What I would say, and, and this is where, again, I think there's a unique aspect of Dalaterra it's okay to start with anything, you know, reach out and, and tell us what you're interested in. And we get back to people very, very quickly with, uh, we are not looking at that area or, you know, we already represent someone in that area or whatever the reason might be, if there's a reason for a no. And if there isn't a reason for a no, then we'll start a process of getting to know them better. But we take years to decide to work with a winery. Now, maybe two years, doesn't necessarily mean, but it's not one year. And, you know, part of that is just all the things that you need to do and understand to take on a winery, including going and visiting them. And, you know, we're not just going to pick up and, and go to Italy to meet with one winery. So we have different times of year for different events that we go. And if, uh, and this happens all the time, we just get back and we get someone reaching out to us. And so if, you know, after Provine, someone reached out and said, I'd love to speak with you or someone I met at Provine, I'm not in Italy again until October, probably. There's a chance I could be there in September. But so, you know, that's six months right there. So the reason we don't require a lot up front is because we're going to take a long time to get to know them. And, you know, we have a, a material courting process, I guess is the way we would call it, because the way I describe it is we, we get married to our producers and we don't like to get divorced. So we really take time to get to know them, to understand who they are as people, you know, as much as, you know, what their wines are. And then we, we make a decision. Uh, you know, we started with a Sardinian producer about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and we worked with them for over three years before we actually moved forward in representing them. Now, I will say part of that was COVID driven. We, we probably would have started a year earlier if it hadn't been for COVID. So that extended it. But we met them by, you know, someone, the person who represents them also had a, an important relationship with one of the wineries that we already represent. So they knew us through one of the wine or aware of us through one of the wineries that we already represent. And they reached out to us and it took us a while. They were a newer winery on the scene. Um, we needed to get to know the family. We want to know not only the family of today, but who's the family of tomorrow. Because if you're a family owned entity and there's no you know, succession, we want to make sure we can continue to represent your winery uh, you know, into the future. So there, there's a lot we go through when we try to understand uh, a winery. And I think that's different than many, many other importers. There are, there are no shortage of winery collectors. And, you know, it's, it's, it, in this business, it's easy to be a collector. It's hard to be a curator. And we try to really curate what we, what we collect. For someone, what the big takeaway is, and we actually may have just done that. <laughs> but of, of all the things that we talked about, and in this case, we're talking to wineries that are not part of Dalaterra, Dalaterra 
Um, what's the big takeaway of what we just talked about that, that they can actually put into practical use? I would say the first thing they should do uh, to, to help them come to the U.S. Is, is that piece we talked about, about understanding what the U.S. is. So they should buy my book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready, from Amazon.it. <laughs> yes. And, and really understand the U.S., understand what an importer is going to do, understand what a distributor is going to do, understand generally the differences in the 50 markets. And you don't need to, I don't remember all of the rules of the 50 markets. That's not my job. Well, I guess in theory, it is a little bit my job, but it is, it, I don't need to remember every one of them every day and they don't need to, to really even read them. What they do need to understand is selling in New York is very different than selling in uh, Florida, which is very different than selling in California. And so they can't assume that, that everything's going to be sold the same way. They need to understand that every winery in the world wants to be in the U.S. and that, you know, they're, they're vying for a very small percentage of the market, right? If you think about that 70% of the wine sold in the U.S. is U.S. wine, that means that the, the, the market they're fighting for is 30%. And, you know, whether they're from Italy or any other country, you know, all the rest of the world is fighting for that 30%. And that includes wine from China now, you know, wine from Mexico, wine from Uruguay, you know, wine from, you know, every country in Europe. So those are the things they need to understand. And that's why it's so expensive to work here and, and why it's so difficult to be in the U.S., even though it is a very large market. And, and I would just say... You know, it is 100% Italian focused, and I'm sure you get some beyond Italy listening because it is interesting content. Uh, but we are we are all about Italy, and we are both wine and spirits as well for Italy. So, if people want to uh, reach out to you and not necessarily find out more about Dalaterra, but uh, offer their their brands, how would they reach you? Uh, sending me an email is is absolutely the best way. Yeah, 100%. Can I, I'm Scott at Dalaterra.com. What? regions or products or varietals uh, are open to you that you're actively looking for? We are actively looking in Campania. Um, we are actively looking for very interesting smaller producers, but I will also openly admit those are much more difficult to make sense in the U.S. market. So uh, there are many, many smaller producers out there and, and uh, I'm happy to speak to them, but they should know it's, you know, needle in a haystack finding those, which is why we're actively looking for them. Outside of that, though, the, that's really where we're, we're looking right now. Um, we have the, the areas that we are not represented in are uh, Val d'Aosta, Liguria, Umbria, Molise, Basilicata, but, but we're not we're not actively looking in all of those, you know. We're really just actively looking in Campania, right? Right, 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 right. But but should be there there are holes in the portfolio, so to speak. Okay, we've been talking today with Scott Addis and Scott. What's your title at Dalaterra? I am president of Dalaterra. Pre president of Dalaterra, which is a unique but very well established um, variation on a theme uh, of how to import and distribute brands in the U.S. Scott, thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for what you do. I think, you know, when I think about all of the wineries that I talk to who are looking for solutions, 
there's not enough of you to go around, but there are lots of options out there. Uh, and I think the, the easiest way to say it, none of them are perfect, uh, but th they also can be different. So don't think that the frontal assault is the best way to go to the U.S. market. And the best thing you can do is to um, educate yourself about the U.S. market so that you can have a um, informed conversation with people when you go to Vinitaly, when you go to ProWine, when you go to Wine to Wine, or any of these international conferences. So I want to say thank you to Scott for joining us uh, this week. And tune in again next week for another edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Steve. Take care. Thanks again for listening. This is Steve Ray with Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Joy Livingston, and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love, and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.